Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January 24th. The war in the Middle East is now 110 days old. I'm Jonathan Shanzer, Senior Vice President for Research at Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Welcome back to the FDE Morning Brief. I don't know about you, but I thrive on learning. This show has been a tremendous learning experience for me. I hope it continues to be one for you. So keep coming back and we'll keep dishing out our best stuff before you've even had a chance to drink your morning coffee three times a week here at the FDD Morning Brief. This morning, we'll talk to retired Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster. H.R. served as National Security Advisor to former President Donald Trump. But don't make any assumptions about his politics. He calls balls and strikes in ways that few dare to in Washington. We're honored to have him serve as the chairman of FDD Center on Military and Political Power, also known as CMPP. But before we speak to the former National Security Advisor, Allow me to share a few thoughts on President Biden's concerted push for a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinians. I'll say this up front. I am not, nor have I ever been, opposed to the idea. There's nothing wrong with the Palestinian National Project, so long as the leaders and the people agree to peace. Those conditions have not been met in years, but there are some other serious problems with the way the White House is pursuing this. Let's start with the fact that the Israelis just suffered an unspeakable trauma and they are still fighting a grueling war with a brutal terrorist group in Gaza with perhaps an even more grueling war awaiting them in Lebanon. Nobody in Israel is ready to talk peace yet, Mr. President. They believe they are fighting for their lives and I think they are. So here's my suggestion, help the Israelis win their war in Gaza and stop trying to restrain them from defending themselves in Gaza, Lebanon and beyond. At the same time, Mr. President, win your own battles. Last I checked, America is under attack from the Houthis, Shiite militias in Iraq, and more Shiite militias in Syria. Our response, notwithstanding some responses over the last few weeks, has been feeble. How about responding with overwhelming force? How about defeating them beyond a shadow of a doubt? The Middle East wants to see American strength. While you're at it, Let's hold Iran accountable for giving its proxies the cash and weapons and training to attack us in the first place. Let's put an end to the nuclear program that the regime has been using to blackmail our allies in the Middle East for more than a decade. How about providing support to the Iranian people to topple the regime? Let's give the region a chance to finally thrive. The White House wants big diplomatic wins? Fine. Just remember how we got there last time. The U.S. won the Cold War. Then it shellacked Saddam Hussein in the first Iraq War. After that, America's superpower status was unquestioned. We could then order the Israelis, the Palestinians, and the rest of the Middle East to fall in line. This won't happen while we let a tiny corrupt country like Qatar dictate our terms. It doesn't happen when we let Turkey sponsor terror under the umbrella of NATO. And it definitely doesn't happen when we fail to project strength in the face of Iranian proxies. So let's start acting like a superpower, shall we do that? And I'm pretty sure we can start notching some big diplomatic wins again, even in the Middle East. Now for your headlines. 
Egypt continues to threaten Israel that operating along the Philadelphia corridor would have grave consequences for the diplomatic ties between these two countries. Here's what we know. This story is downright bizarre. The Israelis, of course, have to expel Hamas from the southern town of Rafah. It's the last major stronghold after Khan Yunus for Hamas. The Egyptians know this, but they are warning Israel not to move in. Why? I'm pretty sure I know why. They are hiding something. They have almost certainly allowed for tunnels to operate beneath the border for several years. This enabled Hamas to import weapons, and it enabled the group's leaders to come and go by way of the Sinai Peninsula. Nobody knew it in Israel, or maybe nobody talked about it, but now there is no choice. There is no going back to October 6th, as the Israelis say. So if Egypt is hiding something, it will soon come out. So buckle up, folks. This one is going to be messy. Headline two, Israeli ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, slammed Russia yesterday at the United Nations. Here's what we know. Erdogan did not pull any punches. He hammered the Russians for their partnership with Iran, noting that Iranian drones deployed by Moscow are killing innocent Ukrainians. He's not wrong. So now what? This is a big deal. Until now, the Israelis have played it safe with Russia. With the Russian military deployed in Syria to protect the Assad regime, the Israelis have tiptoed around Vladimir Putin. They have done everything in their power to avoid confrontation so that they can continue to strike Iranian assets inside Syria, generally in the gray zone, without a Russian response. I don't know what has changed here, but I like what I see. Israel is now clearly aligned with the United States on Ukraine, as it should be. Let's see if Washington rewards this. And headline three, the U.S. is finally fighting back in Yemen and Iraq. Here's the deal. The United States destroyed some two dozen launch sites and almost as many missiles in Yemen over the weekend. Then it targeted Kataib Hezbollah, one of those Iran-backed militias in Iraq. This is an important development in my view, because after weeks of indecision, it appears that the U.S. is finally taking these threats seriously and responding with more force. So now what? I don't know. This administration doesn't want to get sucked into a major war, but it also knows that it cannot afford to be pushed around by these Iranian proxies. This stuff is not easy, folks, and that's why we brought in an expert. I can't think of anyone better to help us unpack the complexities of this than retired Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster. I don't just think the world of H.R. because he's an avid Philadelphia sports fan. He's a warrior scholar who's both thoughtful and tough. He's the chairman of FTD's Center on Military and Political Power, where he works closely with my colleague Brad Bowman. H.R. served our country with distinction for more than three decades while he was in the military, and I believe he continues to serve our country admirably in civilian clothes. Welcome, H.R. McMaster. Hey, Jonathan. Great, great to see you. All right, let's dive right in here, H.R. First, I want to get your take on how the U.S. military has handled these attacks against our troops, our bases, and our assets in Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. Are we watching something new develop with these most recent responses, in your view? Hey, Jonathan, first of all, I just want to say your your lead-in was perfect. I mean, I think that's a great summary of, of, of where we are. You know, I, I think, yes, I mean, it, it's it was inevitable that we would have to respond the way they were responding. But it's really sad that we didn't we didn't act earlier. You know, there have been hundreds of attacks, acts of war against U.S. forces and facilities in, in the Middle East, executed by you know, by Iran's proxy forces, and we didn't do a damn thing 
to respond, or we responded only to a few of them. So, you know, we, we keep talking about, you know, not wanting to escalate. But what that does is all that does is it gives Iran the opportunity uh, to escalate with, with impunity. So this was inevitable because Iran will continue to escalate, as we know from the four decade plus long history of their proxy wars against us. And, and of course, it won't stop, you know, I think, as you alluded to, uh, until we act like we know what the return address is. Well, you've studied Iran and its proxies for years. What is the answer to all this specifically? I mean, if you were back in the White House advising a president, what would you say? I mean, can we fight the proxies without exacting a cost from Iran itself? Is there an order of battle in terms of tackling these proxies? Do you have to start with Yemen because of the the, the threat to international shipping? Or do you start in the Levant? I mean, how, how would you tackle this? Well, I mean, you tackle it holistically by going after all of their proxies simultaneously, but you have to go after the source itself. And, and to do that in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that, that drives up their financing, this is what you saw, I think, the Trump administration do uh, when we, you know, when we uh, imposed sanctions against uh, the IRGC, against, against Iran broadly, uh, dried up a lot of their financing. Uh, and made it really difficult. They had to cut their their stipends to Hezbollah, to to Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, and and Hamas and others by half. They had they were they were talking about how they reduced the size of their proxy army in Syria because they couldn't afford it. But what the Biden administration did when they came in is that they 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 lifted uh, you know, all all of those sanctions, you know, and didn't enforce them, and it, it resulted in the transfer. According to the great work that FTD is doing, we, we think about $80 billion, you know, to, right into the coffers of, uh, of the IRGC. Where did that money go? It went to the so-called axis of resistance, which is really, you know, the, this, you know, the, these proxies that are used to, to, you know, to, to push the, the U.S. Out of, out, of, out of the region and to destroy Israel. And, you know, Jonathan, this is what I think we're missing. What's happening right now is, is Ayatollah Hamene has has you know said he's going to cross this off his bucket list. He's going to I think I think try to destroy Israel. This is the opening just the opening campaign of that. And so until we act like we know what the return address is, we're just going to get more and more aggression from the Iranians. Yeah, I think look that that uh, decision to let up on the maximum pressure campaign huge mistake and I think we've just got to hope here that the Biden administration turns up uh, that pressure a few notches. I think that is absolutely imperative. Let me ask you something else. Um, you know, we're watching obviously the Israeli war effort, and um, you know, I, I think overall the Israelis have performed relatively well on the battlefield in Gaza. There have been obviously some mistakes and some tragedies, but we've been hearing a lot of talk recently about excessive casualties. And I think this seems to forget the very high ratio of civilian dead during our campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan. As I understand it, the ratios were something like nine civilians for every militant on average. The Israelis right now seem to be at around 1.5 to 1, which, I mean, look, nobody celebrates the idea of, uh, of, of innocence being caught in the crossfire. But I mean, are the Israelis fighting this the way they should? Do you have critiques? What's your assessment? Well, you know, it's 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 impossible to prevent civilian casualties when you're fighting an enemy who wants civilians to be killed. I mean, that that's really the the basic situation is that you know Hamas actually 
conducted the October 7th attacks because they wanted Palestinians to be killed in response because that was part of their strategy. And, you know, I, I think what's what's really important is to, is to point out what I've, what I've heard Cliff May and others point out is, that, you know, how, how, how many of these tunnels that they have, you know, in, in, you know, in, in Gaza are meant for civil defense to protect civilians? You know, the answer to that is zero, right? Zero. They don't give a damn about the civilian population. And Jonathan, one of the things that, that I experienced in, in Iraq is when we when we conduct a ma- conducted a major offensive against Al Qaeda in Iraq in the city of Talafer, we we uh, we we evacuated the civilians in advance of that uh, of that offensive. <clears throat> but Al Qaeda tried that until we really forced it to keep the civilians there. The biggest mistake, uh, the biggest problem, the biggest aspect of this that I think we have to nobody's talking about is the Egyptians and others didn't allow didn't allow for the evacuation of civilians. So then Israel has been left with no other alternative. There is no alternative to completely destroying Hamas and destroying all of their infrastructure. And, and, and civilians, sadly, are going to be caught in the crossfire. You know why? Pr- primarily because Hamas wants them to be caught in that, in that crossfire. They're using them as, as human shields, you know, and they're using them for their information war uh, against Israel. Obviously sad, uh, predictable, but, but sad nonetheless. Right, let me uh, widen the aperture a bit. Um, how do you think the Russians and the Chinese view this chaos being created by their junior partner in Tehran? I know you do a lot of work uh, on all three of these American adversaries and the way that they are aligned. Do you think that the other two here, the Russians and the Chinese, do you think they want to fan the flames? Do you want? Do you think they want to contain the conflict or do you think they just want to kind of open up a bag of popcorn and watch from the sidelines. They want to take advantage of it, Jonathan. That's what they're doing. I mean, you can see where they're trying to, to use the, the, you know, the, this, the, uh, the horrible uh, attacks from, from Iran across the region, especially October 7th, uh, to, to their advantage, right? And they're currying favor with, you know, the so-called global South and they're parroting, you know, Hamas's propaganda. You know, you saw, you, you saw Putin right away, right? Meet, meet with Hamas leaders. You, you see how China, you know, is in, is enabling Iran, you know, by buying more of their oil. You know, they've got a strategic partnership with 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 Iran, and you see the connections, other connections, you know, with with Iran providing, you know, providing uh, Russia with with uh, you know with, with the drones and, and now missiles to continue their onslaught across Ukrainian people. So I think it's really, really, really important for us to understand the connections, right, be, between between this axis of authoritarians. Who are acting against against us, and we need to marshal the rest of the of, of the, the free world uh, against this this really significant threat. All right. Well, you know, I mean, talking about trying to marshal those resources. I mean, last question for you here: Congress's failure to pass funding for Ukraine has actually forced the administration to suspend that aid, and the Senate as we now understand it, maybe nearing a compromise bill that pairs GOP border security demands with Biden's request for aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. But the legislation may die in the House. If Congress fails to pass this aid package, in your view, what are the consequences? I think, I mean, I don't want to be dramatic about this, but it's the beginning of World War III. I really think it is. I mean, honestly, I think that if we don't demonstrate the resolve uh, to, to support the Ukrainians in their fight, you know, we haven't lost one life, you know, in, in Ukraine uh, against the Russian onslaught. 
I think that will embolden a, a range of enemies, including Iran and including China. And I think that you can draw a straight line between the the the, the surrender to the Taliban and disgraceful uh, retreat from from Afghanistan uh, in in 2021 and the reinvasion of Ukraine in 2022. And and I think what is provocative to our to to our, our enemies and, and and potential enemies and adversaries is this is the is the perception of weakness. And I think that if Xi Jinping, for example, thinks that we're divided and that we're weak and that we can't even provide support for the Ukrainians, then he's going to act in the South China Sea or against Taiwan. And I think what we'll see is is a cascading crises uh, in the coming years. I think we're already seeing those. All right, HR, thank you very much for joining us today on the FDD Morning Brief. Jonathan, thanks. And, and thanks for the amazing work that FDD does every day. Thank you. Okay, here's what my FDD colleagues are tracking today. My colleague, Ruel Marc teamed up with Ray Takei from the Council on Foreign Relations for an op-ed in the New York Times. They took a hard look at what motivates Iran's theocratic regime, and they believe the Ayatollahs may not be interested in a wider war at this moment. But that's not always how the world works. Miscalculations, mistakes, and hubris often take us down the paths that leaders don't plan for, especially psychopathic leaders, if you don't mind me saying so. Over at FDD Cyber Center, CCTI, FDD Chief Technologist Dr. George Shea has been participating in a working group of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. They're putting finishing touches on a series of recommendations for the President on how to ensure that U.S. critical infrastructure is resilient against natural disasters, cyber attacks, and more. And finally, FDD's China Program Director, Craig Singleton, is out with a new piece that digs into the latest economic report out of China. He notes that Beijing's economic woes present a strategic opportunity for the United States. Washington can wield its leverage over Beijing and make some shrewd economic moves that won't hit the U.S. in the pocketbook. Okay, that's it for today's show. Read our expert analysis on our website, fdd.org. Read our quick takes on X at FDD. And support our work with a tax-deductible donation at fdd.org slash invest. Thank you for being with us today. I'll see you bright and early on Friday for another episode of the FDD Morning Brief. I'll be joined by Seth Mandel, a talented journalist with some sharp observations about the war in Israel and how it's playing out here in America. So tune in. Until then, I'm Jonathan Shanzer, signing off for FDD. Thank you.